Please join us this week from noon to 3 as we celebrate the life and career of Dory Monson with the best of the Dory Monson Show. For more information, please visit MyNorthwest.com. of letters pouring in one triple eight nine seven three five four seven six and the worst part of this whole thing not only the fact that to do it without trying to cry the whole time is that i know dory is probably going you forgot about this one you get shit in this story you should have had that one get nicole get nicole to get the clip um so that's the best we can possibly do in such a short period of time brock your it's an odd couple because you get this great, big, tall, good-looking guy, and then you get this scrappy little guy from Ballard, and you put the two of them together, and it is nonstop humor and tears and love. Hey. 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 <laughs> uh, and Dory was a crier. So, <laughs> so he's not gonna he's not gonna mind you and me crying and his audience crying because goodness gracious, I think some of the biggest tears that I have seen in the last ten years of my life were at SeaTac Airport after our last fishing trip where he unplugged. Mm. I think that was one of the rare places um, where he could actually find peace and totally unplug from from his show about the only place that was a refuge for his his soul john was up yeah. there in sitka alaska and uh he went twice with me and the first time he we had one of the most glorious days on the water you could ever have 60 degrees sunshine it was like uh it was like the apostles pulling fish out of the water yeah. i mean it was just an epic day and then the next day blown off the water couldn't even fish and he brought his little machine up there because he mm-hmm. had to do the show. He couldn't leave his audience. He That's had right. to do the show, right? Mm-hmm. And I told him, Dory, the next time you come up here, you are not doing your show. You are going to unplug, and you are going to be in nature, and you're going to be with Captain Tom and me in this beautiful refuge, and you're going to let go of your mind that never stopped for his audience that yeah. he loved, that he loved, 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 that microphone that he loved, John, and you know it. Yeah. And uh, and he did. He unplugged, and we went our separate ways at SeaTac. And he gave me this hug, and he had the biggest freaking crocodile tears huh. going down his chubby cheeks that you've ever seen. Yeah. And he's like, I needed that, I needed that, and I said, No, we needed that. Yeah. And uh, so he loved to cry. He was not <sighs> bashful about sharing that emotion. And today. I'm not going to be either. You're not going to be. His audience yeah. isn't. The people that loved him isn't because, man, he was all in for all of us. Talk about how hard it was to get him uh, to, as you say, unplug. People don't realize he his show would end at 3 o'clock. He would immediately start working on the next show. And that's no exaggeration. Show prep. Show, show prep. prep. And show Nicole prep. would write him at 9 o'clock. Dory, it's done. The show's done. Go to bed. Go to bed. Dory sends her a text at, at 1230, 1.30, 2.30, 4 o'clock. Nicole gets up and says, Dory, 
go to sleep, stop. But he couldn't. And part of that was the demise of his health. But you saw that this guy, the job was basically killing him. And what the job was, not his ego to be on the radio. He was so, and this sounds so cliche, but he was so unbelievably dedicated to the listener that it was in service to them. That he would stay up for 20 hours because he wanted to make sure everything was included that needed to be included. So you actually got him to commit to some time away from the microphone. Why did you why did you push so hard at that time? Because of what you just said, it was killing him. Yeah. And ultimately played a role in 61 and way too young. Yeah. Because he carried so much of that. He cared so deeply. He loved his audience. He loved this microphone. He's one of the most competitive. And I hate this in sports, John. I really do. As I've gotten older, I hear people say, oh, I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive. I'm so competitive. Everybody is, is competitive. Everybody that street, you know, strives to achieve and, and, and gain a platform and do that is competitive. Mm -hmm. But that, that guy. That guy was is is the twelve year old from Ballard, right? That just yeah. had nothing, came from nothing, was handed nothing, had to work multiple jobs, graduated from high school at fifteen to go to the UW, where he had multiple jobs, and he worked all night. And that's what that's where it started, mm-hmm. right? That just incessant work ethic that I am not going to be told I can't achieve. I'm not going to be told that I got a name that sounds like a girl and a voice that's even worse and not made for radio. <laughs> and I'm not going to be told that I can't do something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he just had that competitiveness that I, I'm a, and you know what? I'll let it out a little secret right here. Yeah. My bosses may not like this, but I don't care. Okay. Okay. Right. I sent him all the ratings. He needed to know. Like he had to know the ratings of where he was, even is all that he achieved. Yeah. Right. And being yeah. the number one show for decades, he never was settled. He never satisfied. He never stopped striving. Yeah. He never stopped being that 10 year old, that 12 year old, that 15 year old from Ballard that worked all these jobs and achieved, achieved, achieved when handed nothing. And he always wanted to compete and he wanted to beat me. Uh-huh. He, wanted, he wanted to beat my ratings. He wanted to beat my numbers. He wanted to beat your numbers. Yeah. He wanted to beat everybody. Always. He wanted to be number one in the market. And he was. And you know the funny thing was, you didn't mind that when he took that spot. You didn't mind that he would just be busted on you because just sort yeah. of the fun play. Yes. He never he never gloated. Nope. And not without it being in a fun way. I have a clip. I have no idea what this is other than it's four minutes and five seconds, but it says Brock's fish. Do you know what the uh-uh. story is? Uh-uh. Okay, here we go. Okay, next up in the fastest 15. Hey, really, really quick before we get to that. Yes. I promised Brock I would mention this today. <laughs> so I went to the freezer. What? I what? put Yeah, so Brock, and he's bugging me. He's got Sean all excited that I was going to call you out on this, but... Oh. I went to put something in the freezer this morning. What's going on here? We, we're all in on this story. It's like an intervention right now. Do you, do you know about this? Or no. Slow? I'm getting no. called out in the middle I know. of the fastest I was like, wait, Brock's just hijacked the fastest 15. He did. He did. Because he's bugging me about it. So I had to, had to call you out. Because I think he's very proud to have done this. So uh, I went to the freezer this morning. I had to put something in the freezer. And I opened it up. <laughs> and it is loaded with fish. Uh-huh. And so I said to Brock, Brock, is this your fish? And he's like, well, yes, of course I brought fish in and gave it to all of my 
team members here. (laughs) Yeah, and then I saw Brock earlier today, and I was like, hey, it looked like you had fun on your fishing trip. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I've got fish for all the ESPN girls and, and guys. And he was like, Dory. And I was like, what, did Dory not bring anything for us? He's like, I didn't say anything. <laughs> so he's like, why don't why don't you tell Dory? That's fifteen. So I took a picture of the fish and sent it to Nicole. And I, I I'm, I'm gonna give you guys some. It's in my freezer right now. This is all Brock's fault, Dory. What, what are you doing? Doing Brock's bidding during the fastest fifteen? What's that all about? You no, know I love. Is Brock. he listening right now? I pretty much do way, anything for Brock. Dory's gonna have us over for a barbecue. Yeah, so I would get. Well, it's easy to just give somebody. <laughs> yeah, and have, have them do the work to give them yeah. a fish. But you know what I'm doing here? I'm teaching you how to fish, <laughs> so you will be fed for a lifetime. Lovely. Uh, yes, okay. that's what I do every day on the. Show. Show. I don't give you a meal for a day. I feed you uh, for intellectually a for a lifetime. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Gee, I'm going to. It, it looks real good. Though. I gave some to my sister, to my brother over the weekend. Dory, if it helps you, I didn't know nothing about this until Brock told me about this today. Like, don't feel really bad. wants to let everybody yeah. know he gave his whole team fish, and Dory has not brought any. <laughs> Wow. I, didn't I mean, know you should see the freezer. I didn't know there was a time limit on this. What's today? Thursday? I've only been back for four days. And quite frankly, there isn't. So don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, I could list off the people that Brock. are getting fish from Brock. Lydia. Boy, howdy. Probably Mora. What, what do you want? Salmon or halibut, huh? Uh, halibut. Okay. Thanks, sir. What do you want, Nicole? Halibut. Okay, yours. I want you to be happy. Thank you. I really want you barbecue. to cook it for me, though. I don't trust myself. <laughs> I, I made. Uh, I had a big family barbecue on Sunday, and uh, all the girls came over, and uh, I'm I'm starting to experiment with different recipes. I like it. Barbecuing beer batter. Are you going to do that? Yeah, wow. I, yeah. I got I a uh, beer battered. Yeah, for fish and chips. I got yeah. a. Brock sent me a recipe for that. Is that what you want when you guys come over? Yes. Does Brock is Brock having anybody over to his house? No. And by the way, yeah. When was the last <laughs> I time haven't Brock got that had us over? Yeah. 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 Let's call him out for not inviting us over to his place. Yes. <laughs> Brock, you, you've been to my house, Sean. Uh, both numerous times. Ursula yeah. and yes. Nicole yes. were. I uh, barbecued for you guys two weeks ago. You don't even need to justify this. He's just being a brat. <laughs> he is being a brat. <laughs> Ouch. Brock. <laughs> was so excited about it. I was like, we're not going to do that. And then Sean's like, Rock's really excited about what you're going to do today. He's a very weird man. We should send him this whole segment. I'm sure he's listening. Oh, yeah. Wait a second. If he's listening, he's already texted. Oh, he's not listening because he would have texted me already. So, yes. Weird. He texted me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Brock. Oh. Did you know that they did that? The no, whole no, no. But you I know were, this, John. Yeah, yeah. I know we got to run, but yeah. I know this. <laughs> I didn't know you're going to play that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Full circle. The last text I got from Dory at six thirty Wednesday night mm. was a picture of his halibut. <laughs> <laughs> that, a picture of the recipe from Captain Tom of mm-hmm. his halibut, sun dried tomatoes, and olive oil. And oh my gosh, does this look good? Yeah, that was the last text I got from my buddy Wednesday night. Mm. Mm. Boy, if you get on the phone with him, I would get a text. It, it would say, "Hey, call me." So it's from Dory, and then I would call him, and I would look at the clock, and he go, "You got a minute?" 
<laughs> That's the biggest lie. Because I'm telling you, you get off your phone with him, your head is all hot. The phone's hot. Yep. And you look down, and it's, you know, one hour and 14 minutes. Yep. Right? Because it was story after story or question or comment. And it it was this... His mind never stopped. Never stopped. And never it, stopped. And it... But the thing was is that... Even if you had heard the story before, and I had this sort of thing with my dad, even if you had heard the story before, he goes, did I ever tell you the time we would do this? And I'm like, and I knew he had told me before, but I'm like, no. And then with that, he's launching into it. And I would just along for the ride. It's like riding a roller coaster. You've been on it before. You know where the dips and turns are. But still, at times your stomach goes, woo, because he loved to tell a good story. Right. Yes, did, man. God, what a what a huge person. Mm-hmm. Hey, what do you say to the people that might be tuning in because they didn't like him? Right. Because Dory, either you uh, it, Either you loved him or you hated him. There were no nobody was like, yeah, I don't know, I could take him or leave him. There was, you know, he drew a very, very bright line and was not afraid of his opinions and would challenge people that challenged his opinions to, you know, a healthy debate. But there are people that be like, eh, that guy. Yeah. What would I say to him? I would say to them what he said to me when we had breakfast, when I asked him, hey, what do you think about this? Because he and I had done the pre and post game Seahawks show, John. That was mm-hmm. my introduction to media. Yeah. When I was done playing in 04, the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl in 05. Mm-hmm. I started to, to work at Bonneville there just with the pre and post game show. He led it as he did for so, so long with, right. with Dave and Paul and that time Sam Atkins and others came along for the ride. All wanted to be a part of it because he was the ringleader and an amazing, amazing host. Uh, but when it looked like the station was coming, the sports was coming, they were going to flip to the news to the FM, he and I went to breakfast. And that was one of the pieces of counsel was just, you know, you will know you you enjoy this job and it's for you when it's not just the people to please, the people that love football, in this case for me or that sports audience, mm-hmm. but that those that don't agree with you, those that don't have your worldview, those that don't have your faith, those that don't see the world as you do, they tune in. Because they're curious mm-hmm. and they're intrigued and they want to know, is this real? Like, is this real or is this just an act? Is this just a show? And for 40 years, that guy showed you and proved to you. And that's why they all tuned in and listened because they knew it was real. Yeah. He was not a poser putting on a show to get a number. He was genuine. He was authentic. He was the real article. Mm-hmm. And it was why those that loved him tuned in every day and those that didn't love his views tuned in. And that's why he was the best of the best. Yeah. Brock, you're thank you. I am sorry for your loss, but I'm happy for your gain that you had so many wonderful hours with a man. John, you are going to carry this show. There's no one better to do it. You loved him as we all did. Um, I am thankful that you're going to carry this for seven hours. I'm going to be tuning in. I can't wait to listen to his audience who loved him. Pray for Suzanne and the girls. Yes. Lift them up. Lift them up. And, um, I know we will support them. I know we will love them well, um, but they're hurting as we're all hurting. Yeah. Thank you, John, for your heart. I'm here. If you need me six Thank hours you, from now, yeah. uh, text me and I will jump right back on, brother. All right. And allow, this is, we're going to go out with you talking about how halibut are the linebackers of the sea. <laughs> I thought I was going to feel guilty pulling 
these majestic salmon and halibut aren't majestic. I've learned that. <laughs> halibut are just, oh, there's an octopus. I guess I'll eat that one now. I thought they were a lot cooler than they've, they've proven to be. But, but halibut are like middle linebackers. <laughs> Okay, Dave Wyman. Sam are like All right, yes. Dave Wyman. Yes. <laughs> Dave Wyman is the, the halibut. <laughs> of the, oh, I'll jump the, on that. Let me go hit that thing. Let me go see what's, Let me react to that noise. Uh, <laughs> Celebrating the life and career of Dory Monson. You're listening to the very best of the Dory Monson Show. You're listening to a celebration of the best moments in Dory Monson Show history. For more information on the life and career of our friend Dory, please visit MyNorthwest.com. Welcome to the show. She's a three-time Emmy Award winner. She's also the author of a brand new book titled Your Second Act. Actress Patricia Heaton joins us. Patricia, what a fantastic pleasure to have you on today. Oh, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. Absolutely. I had so much I want to talk with you about. I've been doing so much research on you. Uh, but I want to start with the obvious, because I always do. Uh, how, how long did Everybody Loves Raymond run? Nine, ten years, something like that? Yeah, nine, nine and a half. Nine and a half. Okay, all right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, I've heard you talk so much about the show. What is it like when something like that comes to an end? Because you had such a tight ensemble. You see these people all the time. And I just cannot imagine what it's like life-wise to go from, from something like that for nearly a decade to it just ending. What's that like? Well, it is, it is hard, first of all. You know, you've grown up with these people on the show you know our our kids were all being born while we were doing that show and you know very little and you go through all those traumas together you know everything about everybody's families and what's happening and so you're really tight and it's very strange in that last episode to think it's never going to be that way ever again so that's pretty tough and then the other part of it is you know that schedule kind of defines the rhythm of your life and so when that intense schedule is no longer there uh you know i personally felt a a bit at sea you know you're kind of feeling a little floaty because there's not that thing that's anchoring you i mean obviously you still have your family and you know you're still raising the kids but it's just a weird thing and it's like that it was the same when the middle ended which is also was also a nine-year run and it just your kind of identity is attached deeply to that show that runs that long and you kind of have to shake it off after it's over and think okay i'm back to being just mom just wife um and it's just a huge adjustment but you know 
in a way, it's to be able to make those adjustments is a really healthy uh, skill to have. Um, because as we've seen with this pandemic, now everybody's had to make huge adjustments. Everybody's lives yes. have been turned upside down. And I think for people in the entertainment industry, we're used to being to having things turned upside down quite a bit, and, and always. And even if you're on a successful show, you know at some point it's going to end. So nothing in this business lasts forever. And sometimes that rug is pulled right out from under you without you knowing it. You know, you go and sure. work, and they say, "Okay, we're we're canceled. Everybody go home." So you know, you never know. So I, I think we're well suited for something like a pandemic because we've always had to adjust and pivot in in our in the entertainment industry. Now, the reason I, I started with that is because I know your book, your second act, is is about how you transition to life when your kids are grown, for one thing. Because, uh, you know, and I know that you are uh, a devout Catholic and that your faith anchors mm-hmm. your life. My faith anchors mine mm-hmm. as well. My wife and I have three daughters who are now all in their in their 20s and, and grown. Mm-hmm. And... and it's something you and I are about the same age. It's something that we all wrestle with because I have my radio show. I've been doing this for 25 years, but I don't want my life to be defined by that. I want it to be defined by faith and family. And it's hard when your kids are grown to figure out what you're going to do after that. Yeah, and, you know, our identity, our identities have been really tied up in, in being a parent. And, of course, that's 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 right and that's good because you know our families are everything we've seen during the pandemic that how how precious it is to have been spending all this time with family we were empty nesters until the pandemic and suddenly three of our four sons are back in the house you know <laughs> we so, had the but, same but, thing yeah <laughs> yeah but it's been wonderful right have you really enjoyed having the kids and thankfully we've not had to homeschool them i am so grateful that this <laughs> pandemic happened <laughs> That's when they so were important. out of school, because, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, nightmare. Uh, um, yeah. I think, um, you know, the, the time that you're spending in parenting and, and in your radio career and my acting career, you know, we're learning and growing all the time, hopefully. And so hopefully all those things can feed into thinking about what the next thing might be. I mean, part of my sort of later in life uh, addition is working with World Vision, which is a, a, a largest NGO in the world, lar- largest provider of clean water. And I've been able to travel all over Africa and in the Middle East with them. And, and that's been, you know, very wonderful for me. And I've been just blessed that I feel like God has, has used my career as a platform to help bring clean water to people in other countries. So it's been wonderful to see that I don't have to abandon my career to do something else in the world. But in fact, it's a wonderful platform to leap off of to, to transition into doing more philanthropic work. So that's been great for me. And then within our industry, um, I've been transitioning into producing. We, my husband and I have produced movies before, but we're working on one now that we developed the script, we're financing it, you know, we're calling all the shots, he's directing. And so that's been a really challenging and scary and thrilling, thrilling um, opportunity f- for me. I really enjoy it. And I was surprised at how much I ha- how happy I am being behind the camera. 
And part of me was like, I don't think I ever want to act again. I'd rather just watch the actors sweat it out and not have to have that pressure on me. You know, so that's been a real revelation for me is that if I don't act again, I hope I do because I like enjoy it. But if I don't, there's other things that fulfill me. And I think that's a wonderful place to be, to realize you're not completely tied to one thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I think for for a lot of us, you know, there are changes too. Where I, I used to be pretty athletic guy, but uh, when you get up up into a few years, I had to stop playing basketball a couple of years ago, and and things like mm. that. It's just so challenging when when your kids are everything, when you you've had lifetime, you know passions that you just have to give up and and so it's it's interesting i love talking to people about making that transition to how about with friends because your kids friends parents tend to become mm-hmm. your best friends uh and mm-hmm. and that's what my wife and i've talked a lot about is as we move along where are we going to find those next peer groups I totally agree with you. I mean, I don't know if you have this feeling, but when I meet someone at this stage in my life who I really connect with, I'm so excited because it's really cool to make (laughs) new friends. And, you know, that's happened to us in the last couple of years. (laughs) We met a couple who lived down the street from us, and now we vacation together. So, you know, it's so exciting. Um, And I'm still in touch with a lot of the parents. I think we all bond so much over our worries for our kids and all that stuff. I mean, parenting is just a wonderful adventure. It's really, really hard, but it's there's so much benefit that comes with it and so many wonderful people to meet. And you just, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. You have to, you have to grow in patience and wisdom, hopefully. And, um, it's, it's an all around wonderful thing, but you know, it's a huge thing when all the kids are out of the house and then you're sort of like those parents aren't necessarily around as much. Your kids aren't there. Who are you? What's your identity now? And I think, um, this book has a lot of inspirational stories of people who, Boy, stuff was just taken away from them. Tao Papua, an NFL football player, um, got injured and ended up becoming an international opera star. Um, he, he, he left for New York City and became a waiter at a restaurant across the street from the Metropolitan Opera in order to meet opera people. And, you know, it's, it's just an amazing story. He took the skills that he learned and the discipline that he learned as a football player and just put that into pursuing wow. his dream to be an opera singer. And I think we all have stuff that maybe we're not even aware that we've been learning as we've been parenting and we've been in some other business that can help us pivot to the next thing. And sometimes it's just figuring out what that next thing is. And that's the, probably the trickiest part. Yeah, maybe I'll try opera. I've never thought about that. I'm not much of a singer, but what the heck? Actress Patricia Heaton, three-time Emmy Award winner. It's really fun talking with you. I enjoyed this a lot, and I'm really glad you could come on. Her new book is Your Second Act. Patricia, thank you for your time, and all my best to you. Hey, I really, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you for joining us as we celebrate some of our favorite moments from The Dory Monson Show.
please enjoy this celebration of the life and career of Dory Monson. You're listening to the best of the Dory Monson Show. I committed last night about a half past ten That baby of mine would let me in Tell you what, he's a rock and roll legend, George Thorogood, the legend, who joins us here on Cairo Radio. George, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. What's happening? Yeah, you are. You're right. happening. You're still uh, you're you're still the hardest working guy in in rock. It sounds like. That's a pretty nice compliment. Seems that since uh, James Brock Brown's moved on other things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you you've That's earned nice. that. You've earned that, man. I mean, I remember back, uh, I think it's when I was about 20 years old, you did 50 concerts in 50 states in 50 days, right? I, I believe the place we played was Pullman, Washington, I think it was we played. Pullman? My, 50, 50 tour. my daughter just graduated from college from Pullman at Washington State a couple of months ago. I know Pullman a oh, little so. bit. So there is such a place. There, there is. I'm impressed. How do you remember a concert gig you played 35 years ago? I don't even remember the good ones, baby. <laughs> but they're all good, George. That's what I heard about you. They're all good. <laughs> I've never had you on the show today, so i got to do a little chronological history, and then we'll get to your new project and all of that. But it had to be. When you were working and grinding as hard as you did, and then I think it was about a year later when uh, when Bad to the Bone came out, that had to be pretty heady stuff to be such a grinder and then all of a sudden just into the stratosphere you go. And you did a lot of hits already, but, but that took it to a new level. What was that all like for you? Well, it was pretty exciting because it was a major label. We had been with Rounder before that, and those first two albums, that was the grinding time because it took me so long to get those records um, done to get them out there. Wow, we were ready to go into the studio back in about 74, 75. And those two records didn't go out until 77, 78. So I spent an awful lot of time on the sidelines, waiting, 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 knowing that bourbon's catching beer and moving on over were songs that would excite people. They were, we were already doing it in the clubs for years. Yeah. And But to get a label interested in us and get into a studio, and I started reading about all these other bands that were breaking and, and doing good business. And, you know, I'd see, you know, Bonnie Raitt and uh, the Cars and Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen and Willie DeVille and Melon Camp. All these people were pretty much my age. And I was like, well, well gee, man, here I am. You know, what, what, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, we, were, we were just rocking the place like crazy. And I remember when someone went to see somebody play a big rock show in Philadelphia, about 50,000 people who would come to see us play in this bar we played. And they went to see this, and they left halfway in and came to see us play where they could see us for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what you just went? They said, that shit wasn't any good. You should be playing in the spectrum. I go, well, why are I? <laughs> you know, so it was, that was a grind to get to that spot, um, to get the attention, uh, you know, uh, of, of uh, the powers to be to recognize this act as, as something that would, uh, well, you're still talking to me, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thrilled to do so because, you know, I, I just remember when, when bad to the bone came out, I got to play a few seconds of it here. <laughs> 
I mean, that is one of the most distinctive song intros in rock history right there. Did you know, did, did you have a feeling that this was going to put you to another level? Well, there was there, the level wasn't didn't exist. There was no rock classic radio, and MTV was just getting started. And I did not know that we would get that tune together and get it on MTV, and then move on to classic rock radio. So the avenues of expression for things like that were did not exist yet. Um, but I ran uh, to a man who said, "Are you writing any songs?" And I said, "Yes, I am writing some songs." And this man said, "Well, if they're any like Bone." Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. Oh, that, that, yeah, that 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 got that got my attention. <laughs> I said, uh, "Yes, sir, on the way." <laughs> Wait, I'm I'm fascinated by that. So, David Geffen, the the record producing genius, he's that much of a genius that he knew that that phrase, if you treated it right musically, that that phrase could could be a hit. Like, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued. So. How did that exactly I go down? Asked him, I, I never asked him anymore. That was the only time I met him. I never saw him again ever. I've been seeing it since then. And I don't know how he even knew about it because we were only doing the few sound checks that we had. It was during that 50 50 tour you mentioned. We were in New Orleans. Yeah. That's, he, uh, that's crazy. Well, yeah, it, this guy just walked up to me, shook my hand, started talking to me, and said uh, he thought that song had a lot of, uh, had a lot of uh, promise. And introduced who he was, and I said, well, "Okay, great." But I, it was an untested song at that time. In in Billy Blower, bass player, and me, we we thought we had a, just another good song to put in our show and put on an album. We needed new material, and and we we'd been playing shows with the Giles Band and the, and the uh, Rolling Stones, and every time they went into Start Me Up or Love Stinks or Honky Talk Boom, that intro got the crowd going right away. So that's what you need. You need a signature song, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, to, 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 to get people's attention. People are going to forget about you. you know, that some guy just used to imitate Chuck Berry all the time. <laughs> but, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I said, you got to you know, get something get something in your show there and get it on record and you know, and get going if you want. If you want, I, say I got a taste of it when I played a few of those Stone shows, uh, the potential that this act had, and getting a major record deal and and getting a, a hit song on MTV. That was that was the next step we had to make. Yeah, well, it wasn't just MTV for that song. I, I remember it on Miami Vice, and then the classic Arnold scene in T two Terminator two. Uh, I yeah, mean, that came much la- that came much later though. Right, that but came- I mean. But how mind blowing was it to be? To, I mean, just be pop culture royalty with that song. I mean, that that had to be heady, heady stuff for you. Well, it's the riff itself. I just it's like a riff of anything. Like you know, the most famous riff in the world is Beethoven's uh, Eighth Symphony or whatever, whatever <laughs> one it is. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, and it gets everybody's attention. So Beethoven had the right idea. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, you get a riff, you hear that riff of satisfaction, it gets your attention. You know, um, uh, as soon as you hear the beginning of Day Tripper, Jump and Jack Flash, certain things like that, um, that that's, the, that's the way to go. So I was just following in, in the footsteps of the musical geniuses before me uh, and saying, you know, get, get something that gets people's attention and then, well, you've got, you've got it halfway licked, you know. Yeah. If you got the lick. Right. right. Well, you embrace it, too, because we talked for just a second before you came on the air. And my first words were, how are you, George? And you said bad. So you you just embrace (laughs) it to this day, don't you? Well, you know, you got it's not going to go away. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it's just uh, a thing, you know, that you might as as well. uh, you made your bed, you might as well sleep in it. Yeah, well, that's that's a pretty comfy bed. I like it. So, so you're still out working. You're going to be, uh, as I said, here at the Emerald Queen, August 13th, George Thorogood, uh, with the Destroyers? You traveling with the Destroyers this tour? Always. Always. Well, because I know this last album you made was a, a solo project, right? Yes. Okay. All right, but, but you always travel with the Destroyers. Right. That's uh, I, keep my animal. I keep keep my animals with me. Yeah, okay, that's good. And uh, I've I've talked to so many artists who come through here, and uh, it sound most people like I said, you embrace bad to the bone and all your classic hits. Uh, you know, it's made a great life for you. Do you ever get tired of playing them? No, uh, you know, it's we played some shows just the other night, and there were some people there who were. 11, 12, 13 years old or never heard us, never heard us play that song either. They're just kids, you know. Um, I don't get tired of them because this is what I do for a living, you understand. Um, we make these songs for the for the public enjoyment. I, I, you know, I'm not one of these artists that, you know, turns inward and writes songs from um, internal grief or whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, we've, we've always patted a live show and, and the material for the for the music public um, to enjoy, yeah, uh, like a menu in a restaurant, you know, uh, as long as they enjoy hearing it, I'm going to enjoy playing it. That's uh, why I did it to begin with. So the show you're doing here, uh, what else can your fans expect out of you? They can expect to see probably the uh, greatest rock, live rock and roll experience of their existence. <laughs> I like it. George Thorogood and the Destroyers at the Emerald Queen. Uh, go to Ticketmaster.com to get tickets. Uh, here's here's another, a little bit more of George as we play him out here. Hey, George, it's really a pleasure talking with you. I've loved your music for my whole life, and uh, and I love that you're still getting it done here. Don't worry, rock and roll never sleeps. It just passes out. There you go. <laughs> All right. George, take care, man. See you up here. I will. Bye-bye. But I don't